Welcome. It's early August. So like every year in early August, the discussion comes back to the topic of the dropping of the two atomic bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945. It's the event that sealed the end of the Second World War. And yet many people claim that it was a crime against humanity, a war crime, that it was an unnecessary move, that there were other options for Japan to submit, and that the dropping of the bomb had nothing to do with military necessity, but it had to do with passing a message to Soviet Union or testing the bomb in real life circumstances and many other things. Now, using an enormous bomb like a nuclear weapon is not an easy decision. We saw this in the film Oppenheimer, that it's a decision that carries a lot of gravitas. And I was someone who was very much of the opinion that this was indeed a war crime. Actually, one of my first mobilizations in my youth, August 99, was the yearly mobilization in Greece against the nuclear bomb and denouncing American imperialism. But it's one of the issues that I've changed my mind. And not only I've changed my mind, I consider today that it, this topic is not even a gray area, that there's a very crystal clear moral answer to the question, was the dropping of the bomb appropriate, moral, necessary, yes or no? And I think the answer is yes, and I will explain why. So we will see all the counter-arguments, and we will see how none of the counter-arguments stand. Today's episode is sponsored by Quen Cordaire Fine Art. So a huge thank you to Quen Cordaire and his wife for helping us with this. Quen Cordaire Fine Art has been making the world an even more beautiful place for 27 years. It specializes in romantic arts, a romantic realist paintings and sculptures, and the gallery has themes that celebrate the moments of happiness, joy, and success possible to man on earth. So you can visit at Cordaire.com or you can visit the galleries in Napa or in Jackson, Wyoming. And also the new Ayn Rand portraits, prints, are there in the gallery. And if you use the code ARCUK Quen Cordaire Fine Art, we'll donate $25 dollars to Ironrun Center UK. So a big thank you to the Corders for sponsoring this episode. Again, an episode on a very, very difficult topic like the nuclear bomb. So let's jump in it. The first and important question, did the Imperial Japan need to be defeated at the end of Second World War? So one could say, look, by that point, we had defeated Nazi Germany. Italy had already capitulated. Why push so much for the defeat of Japan, just let them be. Well, this is not an answer that would make sense, particularly if you know the context of 1945, because Imperial Japan was a regime of equal brutality to the Nazi Germany. And this is difficult to say, we have in our mind Nazi Germany as the absolute evil, but in some ways you could think that for people in Asia, the biggest villain in World War II is Imperial Japan because of the monstrosities they did. So at that time, Japan occupied it at the beginning of the war, occupied almost one seventh of the globe. And wherever it had its uh, military occupation, the local populations suffered. 
and suffered in ways that even those who experienced the Nazi occupation in Europe, sometimes it's difficult to fathom. And also, another very obvious reason why Japan had to be defeated is because Japan had attacked the United States. It was the attack in Pearl Harbor. So Japan started the war. Japan had been an aggressor, not only to its neighboring countries, but also to the United States. So Japan had to be defeated. And it had to be defeated completely. Why? Because Japan had the regime which was based on the idea of fighting, based on the idea of aggressive war, based on the idea of nationalism. So the code of honor, the code of nationalist ideology that was prevalent in Japan was, it was the, the, its population was brainwashed with it from a very young age. So if you ask me, what type of regime does Japan, the imperial Japan, bring in mind? I wouldn't even say fascist Italy or Nazi Germany. I would say more something like North Korea today, where you have this almost religious notion of obedience and this religious notion that the individual is nothing and that the collective is everything. This is why the Japanese would never surrender. Because the idea was, even if we all die, there's something bigger than us, which is the glory of the emperor or the glory of Japan. Funnily enough, even if the emperor wants us to surrender, still we shouldn't surrender because there's the glory of Japan. So what does it mean to defeat such a regime? It doesn't just mean, okay, go back to your source and please promise you're not going to attack again. Defeating Japan actually meant crushing their will to continue any aggressive war. It actually means crush its ambition to be the imperialist Japan. In other words, destroy completely its center of power, destroy completely its ideological basis, which was the regime of the emperor. So hopefully it becomes clear that Japan had to be defeated. You couldn't just say, okay, let them be. Now, a second line of defense by the people who say we shouldn't drop the bombies, we could have waited a bit. So the situation in the war front was that Japan, there was a siege around Japan and the siege was closing and Japan was facing running out of its energy sources. And you could see in the horizon a hunger coming, a hunger that was already there in uh, the occupations in the areas that Japan was still occupying. So the argument goes, don't drop the bomb, just wait a few months and Japan would collapse from within. We wouldn't have to drop the nuclear bombs. Now, the argument is very weird, even if you take it from the point of view of the people who present these arguments, who actually say this would save lives. How would letting a population and the subjects of Japanese rule starve? How would this be a humanitarian endeavor? But this is not the only reason why this idea, just let them starve, is a good idea. Japan had to be defeated very quickly. Why? One reason is that there were, ten, that there were thousands of prisoners of war, of POWs, allied and Americans and other allies, prisoners of war, who were treated in horrendous, horrendous, horrendous ways. 
if you read books about uh, the long marches in the Philippines, uh, or if you read books about uh, Unit 731, which I'll get back to it. So if you read stories about the Japanese prisoners of war, it's again, it's stories or unfathom of unbelievable cruelty. And these people should not have to endure it, not only for a month longer, but not even for a day longer, if it was in the hands of Americans to stop it. But there was another reason why you couldn't just say, yeah, let's wait it out. And this is was that Japan had biological warfare capabilities. Japan had biological warfare capabilities. How did they acquire these capabilities? They acquired these capabilities from centers like Unit 731, where they did experiments to POWs. Now, I don't want to throw you graphic details. Go and read about Unit 731 if your stomach allows you to, if you have the stomach for that. But let's just say that part of the experimentation was inflicting different types of people with different kinds of disease to see which disease would stick better with different ethnic groups. And the plan was to unleash such a disease to the West Coast of the United States. And there were different plans on how to unleash such a disease. Now, this attack, this biological attack, in the last minutes was called off by the Japanese for reasons that had to do with, they could see that this could turn against them very quickly. But with what percentage of risk that Japan would unleash a biological warfare, would you be comfortable if you were Truman, the president of the United States? 1%, 5%? So United States had to act quickly. You couldn't just say, well, let them be. And there's a third reason which hasn't got to do with American protecting themselves, but there's a humanitarian point that the subjects of the Japanese occupation in Manchuria, parts of China, parts of uh, the islands uh, around the Philippines, they were dying en masse every month where the Japanese occupation was going on. We're talking about 100 to 200,000 per month, per month. Would you be willing to let this continue for months? And as the starvation would settle more and more in mainland Japan, you could imagine that these populations would be starved more and more. So no, delaying the end of the war was not in any way an option which was moral, even if you take it from the usual humanitarian view, let's save the maximum amount of people, whether they're innocent or guilty or, or whatever. So no, you couldn't just wait. Okay, so Imperial Japan had to be defeated and it had to happen quickly. What was the, possi what was the way then to defeat Japan? One way is the way we figured out with the dropping of the nuclear bombs. Japan surrendered within a week, less than a week. What was plan B? What would happen if we didn't have the nuclear bombs? And actually, that was the actual plan, because even Americans weren't sure how the nuclear bombs would work. And the actual plan was an invasion of Japan. 
an invasion of Japan. Remember D-Day in Normandy? Imagine something like that, bigger scale in Japan. Now, how would that look like? How would that look like? I think it would look like something we've never seen in history. Imagine the battle in Thermopylae, the battle of the Spartans versus the Persians. Imagine this times 200. Because the Japanese were ready to die till the last soldier. How do we know that? Because we had already seen it in the months preceding the anticipated invasion of Japan. We've seen it, for example, when it comes to the battle of the Iwo Jima Island. The Iwo Jima Island was a small island. When I say small, it was like seven times the size of Central Park. Quite a small island. Now, you would expect the allies with their military superiority would be able to take this island quickly and without much casualties. Well, think again. In that island, the Japanese had 20,000 troops. In a battle which was more like a last stand rather than a battle with any tactical goal, the Japanese lost 90% of their men. 90% of their men. And you could say, okay, who cares about the Japanese? Well, Americans lost 6,000 people. They lost 6,000 people in that small island. Very small island. Again, seven times, imagine Central Park, seven times bigger than that. Then we had the battle in Okinawa. Okinawa was bigger than Iwo Jima. But Okinawa, if you compare it to mainland Japan, is a dot in the map. How did the battle in Okinawa go? Well, it was a battle that lasted two months, more than two months. So again, if this is Japan, Okinawa is like a dot. And to get this small compared to Japan Island, the Allies had to fight for two months. And the Allies lost around 13,000 men. When I say lost, I mean killed. If we use the statistic of casualties, we include the injured, then we're talking about tens of thousands. And the Japanese, again, lost around 90% of the troops. Now, could you imagine if the Japanese fought with such ferocity in these small islands, how would they fight for mainland Japan? And again, we know how would they would fight because there was a plan. And the plan was that each and every civilian would be part of the defense of mainland Japan. Each and every civilian. You're a young kid. Here you are, take a pointed stick, go and attack. So if we had, if we had to invade Japan, what would the casualties be? Some very, very moderate estimations would say that the casualties for the Allies would be a quarter of a million, 250,000 people. This was a very, very, very moderate estimation. There were estimations that went closer to a million. How many would be the casualties for the Japanese? God knows. Only God knows. 
So the takeaway here is that Japan wanted a Thermopylae, a last stand in each one of the battles they would give. They didn't want to win. They wanted to find an excuse, a chance actually, not an excuse, to die heroically. An invasion would be one of the biggest carnages in human history. This is why the dropping of the bombs made sense. Because if you are the president of the United States, your first responsibility is towards your soldiers. So how could you go to sleep if you would say, yeah, because I don't want to use this very little weapon, I will send half a million of my boys to death. Very difficult, again, for someone to understand that killing more than 200,000 people as it happened could be said to be a moral choice, but it was a moral choice because the alternative was much worse. And also because for the civilians, for the Japanese civilians who perished in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the number one responsibility lies with Japan. Japan started the war. Japan continued the war. For 10 days before Hiroshima, Japan, the, the Council of Six, the Council that, the War Council that took the decisions during the war, had the proposal for surrender in their hands and they didn't do anything. Now, someone could say, didn't innocent die in Hiroshima and Nagasaki? Yes, of course they did. And it's tragic. Now, not everyone was an innocent. I mean, the regime had public support. The regime, particularly in Hiroshima, had some serious military infrastructure. So people who worked there were working to support the continuation of the war effort. But I can accept that many, many people were actually innocent. Let's say they hated the regime, but they couldn't act out. But who is to blame for their perils? The blame lies with Imperial Japan. In the same way that if a mafia hitman tries to kill me and I shoot back while he's shooting at me and he puts in front of him an innocent person, the death of that person is tragic, but the blame goes with the mafia guy who started the shootout. So the blame for the civil, for the innocent people who died, the blame goes with the government of Japan. Now, here's some other myths around the around the the bombing. And many thanks to Jeff for your uh, for your contribution and for your super chat. Another myth says that the Japanese were ready to surrender. The Japanese were ready to surrender. And we I've heard this in different versions. The Japanese were ready to surrender before Hiroshima. Okay, then why didn't they surrender? The Japanese were ready to surrender between Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Why didn't they surrender? Oh, the Japanese were ready to surrender uh, just around when the bomb was dropped in Nagasaki. Again, why didn't they surrender? If they were just about to surrender. Actually, many Japanese wanted to either continue the war 
a few of them wanted to die like the 300. Some of them in the military thought that if they could pursue some military victories, they could surrender, but in a way that would retain the regime. Not only the figure of the emperor, which actually was retained after the war, but they would basically retain something like the regime as it used to be, based on the militaristic, nationalistic, collectivist values. So even after Nagasaki, even after Nagasaki, there was no harmony within the War Council of Japan on how, on whether to accept a surrender, an unconditional surrender. And they had to go to the emperor, and the emperor, who was more on the, let's put it, peace, quote-unquote, peace camp, said, that's enough, we surrender. So whoever says, oh, the Japanese were about to surrender, ask them the question, then why didn't they? Here's another, here's the weirdest argument I hear. Uh, the bomb was not dropped for military reasons because Japan was ready to surrender or uh, whatever. But uh, this, was, uh, this was a gesture by Truman who wanted to scare the Soviets. That the Soviets would see, oh my God, the Americans have the war and then they would stay quiet. This is one of the most stupid historical arguments I could think of. And this is why. What happened while the United States had the atomic monopoly? So what happened in the three years between the time when the United States dropped the bomb in Hiroshima and Nagasaki and Soviet Union did not have a bomb? By the way, how did Soviet Union get the bomb? Through spying. But that's another interesting discussion. So if this was the truth, that the bomb was part of atomic diplomacy, as they call it, by Truman, we would expect that in the next three years, Soviet Union would sit at its corner. We would expect that Soviet Union would be the good, the good boy in international relations. But actually, the exact opposite happened. Between 1946 and 1949, Soviet Union established its presence in half of Europe, with the military presence, literally the military presence of the Red Army. We had the Prague coup in 48, which means when only the United States had the bomb, Stalin also took Czechoslovakia under the sphere of Soviet Union. And last but not least, China became communist. The official declaration by Mao Zedong from Beijing happened a few months after Soviet Union did its third nuclear test. But the decisive victory for Mao's forces was during the time that Americans had the nuclear monopoly. So my question to people who say that, oh, this was to scare off the Soviets. How could it be that Truman used the bomb to scare off the Soviets if in the next year the Soviet Union gained diplomatic and uh, geopolitical victories which were unprecedented. So you see, the argument does not stand. Actually, none of the arguments that challenge that the nuclear bomb was a necessary choice, none of these ar arguments stand. Again, it's never easy to say, I'm going to drop a bomb that will kill just like that 80,000 people. 
And anyone who tells you, I enjoy watching these scenes, there's something really wrong with that person. But this doesn't take away the fact that it was, it had to be done. It had to be done. And again, the blame goes with whomever started the war. Now, there are more things to say. There are more things to say, even in terms of how many Japanese would die if, for example, the campaign would continue by bombings from the Americans. There are many, many more details, like the idea that, oh, the Japanese surrendered because they were afraid of the Soviet invasion. But all these miss the point. And the point was that the United States were not the aggressor in that war. So they had the moral right to finish that war with as few casualties as possible. And again, this is completely disregarding the point that says that Japanese have done such horrible things in the Pacific that the war had to end very, very quickly. But even if no, no territory was occupied to the Pacific, even if it was only America versus Japan, still the Japanese were the aggressors and still they take the blame for every casualty of that war. Okay. Thank you very much, Free Trade. You say Hiroshima contained all sorts of military and industrial targets. This is actually true. If one agrees that America has the right to effective self-defense, then it follows that the bomb was justified. Japan started the war. And again, people, this is not like, oh, we're dropping you the bomb to punish you for starting the war. The war was ongoing. Japan had very serious plans about a last stand on how to defend the island. And also, again, as I said, Japan had plans for biological warfare. They didn't put them into action, but the plans were there. And the balance of power within Japan was, would change so quickly via military coup over military coup. Again, the army was in charge. The, more than the emperor, the army was in charge. So you could not risk anything when it comes to Japan. Anyway, going from death and destruction to life, and to say once more a big thank you to Quen Corder Fine Art. Quen Corder Fine Art has been making the world an even more beautiful place for 27 years. Specializes in romantic realist paintings and sculptures, and the gallery's collection emphasizes themes which celebrate the moments of happiness, joy, and success possible to man on earth. Acquire art you will want to live with by visiting them online at corger.com or in their Napa, in California, and Jackson, Wyoming locations. And there's a new series with Iron Run Portraits. And check the link in the description. And if you buy one of the Iron Run Portraits, and if you use the code ARCUK, $25 will be donated to Iron Run Center UK. And as you go to the description, you will see also the link for the YouTube channel that sometimes I post some videos of my own. So if you enjoy these solo programs, odds are you will enjoy also the stuff which is available in my channel. Anyway, that was it about Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Every year we have the same discussion. Again, very difficult topic, but a topic which has a crystal clear answer of right and wrong. That's what morality is about, helping you navigate life, even in difficult situations. That's all from me.
Thank you very much.